Philitropus FM. For the past several episodes, we've been super focused on providing historical and literary context to this story. Today, we're going to shift to modern religious interpretations as we hear about the fifth day of creation. I'm Alex Williams. Welcome back to the Creation Stories. Like I mentioned earlier in the season, we've been slipping Islam's descriptions of the creation into the framework laid out in Genesis. Because of this, we haven't really heard too much from Imam Said until today. Islamic text and tradition has a lot to say about animals and their place in creation and how we interact with them as a part of creation ourselves. So, with all of that said, let's have Imam Said start today's episode. Yes, there are many verses in Quran, probably hundreds of verses in Quran, which talk about uh, all these beautiful creatures. Allah says, "Afala yandaruna ila al-ibli kaifa khulqat?" Why don't they ponder how God has created uh, the camel? You can see the beauty and wisdom as Quran was being revealed in Arabian Peninsula, and they were very much familiar with camel. So God is mentioning camel, so they can ponder. Look at its hump. Look at its eyes. We cannot see during sand storm, but camels can continue their way. We cannot open our eyes. If we open our eyes, then we'll be blind for a while, because all the sands will go in our eyes. But Allah has created, in fact, different layers on the eyes of the camel. He closes one layer, but the other layer, like a curtain, he can still see through, and he can store, in fact, water for a week. Without water, he can go for a week. Here we see this meaning and intention in creation, this order out of chaos which we've talked so much about. Why does the camel have extra eyelids and a hump for water? So it can survive in its desert climate. You'll recall Cantor Russ speaking to the intentionality of creation earlier in this season. The whole creation story is about putting things in order. And then that becomes a very big concept within Judaism, that everything has its place and that everything has a purpose within the creation because it's all part of this grand order that God imposed upon the chaos. I like to think that maybe this God's way of imposing order on the chaotic sands was to create camels with these adaptations. Of course, everything here is done with such intention. So what about the text itself? Why does the Quran mention these creations? And the purpose of mentioning all these creatures in Quran is so people are led to the Creator. Allah mentions them in details. So we appreciate them. We take care of them. We live by them. We coexist with them. We don't abuse them because all these are signposts to God. Every single creature of this world has the capacity to lead us to the Creator and connect us with God. We're going to come back to this in a moment. But first, let's get up to speed on what Genesis is saying about the fifth day of creation. And then on the fifth day, God comes back below the firmament. Now God has two distinct things below this firmament. Water having been put in its place, and dry land with plants appearing, having been put in its place. So now, on the fifth day, God decides, I'm going to deal with the water. 
And that's when the great sea creatures are made and all of the fish and God inhabits and populates the waters. And here's our resident Christian priest, Natasha, with some of the text, followed by some elaboration. And God said, let the waters bring forth swarms of living creatures and let birds fly above the earth across the dome of the sky. So God created the great sea monsters and every living creature that moves of every kind with which the waters swarm and every winged bird of every kind. And God saw that it was good. God blessed them, saying, be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters and the seas and let birds multiply on the earth. And there was evening and there was morning the fifth day. So now we have animal life (laughs) and they are blessed. They are blessed. God speaks to them. God engages them. They're in a relationship with God. God gives them a command, if you will. God gives them a purpose. Like, go forth, be fruitful, be multiplied, like spread your glory all over this earth, right? And so this, I think, particularly as we wrestle with all the ecological crises we need to have, really posits animals are not objects. They're beings. Plants are not objects. They're beings. And so when we can shift that lens, I think it can hopefully shift how we look at the way so much of our economies and so much of the ways we structure our societies relate to the environment. Animals are objects to be acted upon rather than creatures, beings that are of inherent and intrinsic value on their own. And they're blessed by God. They're blessed by God, beloved of God, I would even go so far as to say. And again, there's this wonderful sense of abundance there. And it's good. It's good. So there is this constant refrain of good. I love this elaboration Natasha gave, that these creatures are a beloved part of creation. This ties in beautifully with something Imam Sayyid shared from Peak of Eloquence. He allotted all things, their times, put together, their variations, gave them their properties, and determined their features, knowing them before creating them, realizing fully their limits and confines, and appreciating their propensities and intricacies. Looking at this myth, we see a God that loves their creation, a God that knows their creation, and especially in comparison to the other creation myths of the day, we see a God that is intimately involved in their creation. Dr. Josh, our favorite Assyriologist, has done a really great job of showing us that contrast over the past few episodes. In other stories, we see violent gods, gods who enslave people, use them for labor and for entertainment. Here, we see a God that knows each intricacy of each part of creation before they create it. But what do we do with that? I mean, it sounds nice, it's a pretty story, but what do you take away from that? Imam Saeed has some really great insights on this. Utilize the world for your interests, but don't destroy the world. Use it. Everything, Allah talks about heavens and earth and animals, plants, shrubs. He says, Allah has made everything humble before you. Allah has made everything to be used by you, to be utilized by you. Use them, utilize them, but do not destroy them. This animal belongs to you. You can ride on his back, but it doesn't mean that you abuse the animal. It doesn't mean that you hurt the animal. You overload the animal. It's haram, it's forbidden in Islam to abuse the animal in any way, or even to 
cut a tree without any reason, without any legitimate reason, it's considered wrong. We don't believe that anything is evil in its originality. Everything is excellent. Even snakes, scorpions, they are good in themselves. Yes, their poison is not good for us. Their sting is not good for us. But God has given us intellect. God has given us uh, means of defending ourselves. So we should defend ourselves against those consequences which can come to us in our close contact with those creatures. But it doesn't mean that uh, the poison of a snake or the sting of a scorpion is bad. Because that is a defensive mechanism for them. Quran says, وَإِمْ مِنْ شَيْءٍ This is a very beautiful concept. وَإِمْ مِنْ شَيْءٍ إِلَّا يُسَبِّحُ بِحَمْدِهِ وَلَكِنْ لَا تَفْقَهُونَ تَسْبِيحُ There is nothing on this planet which is not glorifying God. Every part and particle of this world is glorifying God. This ties back really nicely to that idea of everything being good. God creates everything good. Now, if you'll indulge me for a second, I'd like to give you a bit of a peek behind the curtain, a sort of creation story of the creation stories, if you will. I've been podcasting for four years now. It's been the most life-changing hobby I've ever had. Through it, I've gotten to interview people from all sorts of different backgrounds and from all over the world. And connecting with people and sharing their stories has led me down several rabbit holes. Most of those rabbit holes have projects at the end of them. And since this is just a hobby, these projects are approached with love and care, but no money. So it can take a while for things to get off the ground. For context, I thought of doing the creation stories in June 2020. Way back in summer 2020, I had the cover art made and decided I would, at some point, embark on this new project. Just over a year later, after honing my editing skills, making a few serendipitous connections, and sorting out the format for the show, I felt I was ready. I reached out to Dalton Harding, who I knew through the church I grew up in, and through my own interactions with the Calgary Interfaith Council. He kindly put me in touch with the religious leaders you hear as guests on this show. And I reached out to Matt Baker, who put me in touch with Dr. Josh. Now, Things don't just plop into place after that. I scheduled two-hour recording sessions with each of these guests. After each interview, I went home in awe at the amazing conversations I just had. These guests have brought incredibly valuable insights into my own appreciation for the story, and I hope they've done the same for you. But, of course, the interviews weren't the end of it. I took each interview, divided them into themes, ideas, and sort of paragraphs— And from there, I listened to them over and over again, familiarizing myself with the ideas, the story, and the insights each guest has brought. After editing a rough cut of each episode, I sent this rough season to about 20 people to provide feedback, and this feedback has fundamentally shaped how I put this final product together. Now, why do I tell you all this? Well, a few reasons, I guess. First, if you want to support the show, I'll invite you to leave a review where you're listening or on Podchaser, which is linked in the show notes. Of course, you can also share the show. And if you want to go above and beyond in your support, you can head over to Patreon and support it financially for just a few dollars a month. I have that linked down in the show notes. As a thank you for that support, I'll send you a postcard from wherever I happen to be when you sign up. 
There's also uncut interviews, commentary, and some more bonuses from other projects on there. It feels weird to ask for such support for something I love to create, but that support really does mean the world to me and allows me to create more content like this. It also helps pay my way through university as I study to become a high school teacher. The second reason I share all of this is to hopefully provide you with some encouragement in your own creation. Maybe you're writing a song, a novel, or a screenplay. For you, your creation might look like gardening. It might be cooking or a business you'd like to get off the ground. Regardless, I hope you engage in your own acts of creation and make them good. That leads nicely into my third reason for sharing all of this. Humans, we need to create. There seems to be something within us all that drives us to creation. And I think this myth captures this particularly well. There's this beautiful process. There's an ordering of the chaos. I remember thinking about this as a child as I played with Lego and built things in Minecraft. We need to create. We are part of this ongoing creation process. At this point, you might be itching to get to tomorrow's episode where we cover humanity. It's finally going to be about us. But as we wrap up the fifth day of creation, Natasha has some insight into why humans are made last. How do you interpret humans being made last and being said explicitly we're made in the divine image? I think there are many threads there. You know, one, again, we are moving from more simple to more complex. I think it is reflective of our our ability to act upon the world and also our own self-reflective consciousness that we have. Again, I think it raises those interesting questions of of what it means to be made in the divine image. So, so, So what is it? Is it how we use our agency, the nature in which we're meant to use that agency? Because God is our model, right? It's about abundance. It's about blessing. It's about goodness right? That's, those are the themes that we've been hearing. So how is our image related to those things? I think that's key. What has often happened is, is that because we're created last and there is that language of created in the image of God, that we are the apex of creation. We are superior to everything else. And I, I'm not sure that's what it's actually saying. And I'm not sure that's a helpful translation, though I understand how that understanding has come. Like it, it, I can see where the, where the thought goes that way. I would challenge that. It does not mean we're superior to. And so it, we can look at it as this hierarchy of over and above. I would rather see it as a, a horizontal hierarchy where we're in relationship and, and there are different, different ways that we act in the world and different ways we are needed for the creation as a whole to function as it should. And not all human intervention in the natural world is destructive. Humans can help manage forests so that forests actually grow healthier, right? So we're not necessarily a skirt, <laughs> not, not always. So, so maybe that's part of, of what is going on in this story as well. I do think, though, that it's interesting that we, while we may have that self-reflex, we have that self-reflexive consciousness, we're also the, the newcomers on the scene. Like, we're the last part of creation. So maybe 
we might be the apex in terms of the timeline of the story, but I, I think we cannot necessarily conflate that with we are the end all and be all. Like we're we're the best thing God ever made, right? Like God finally did it and finally got to us. I'm like, woo, like we're it. We might want to consider that because we're the newcomers to the scene, we have so much to learn from what has already lived for millennia. Maybe that's part of being made in the image of God is being able to look and listen and apprehend and and take the teachings that are already there. And we can kind of get out of the less than, more than sort of structure that we put ourselves into. Let's say we're here and we matter and we're important and we're wonderful. And we have all of this to learn from. And all of this creates us. Like humans don't exist without any of this other stuff. Like we just, we could not be here. You know, my body is composed of water and dirt and bacteria and the plants and the animals that I consume to make me grow. Like I emerge from this earth. And so it has to teach me. And it's the source of my life. The earth gives birth to us too, in partnership with God. And then how do we give birth? How do we give back? So, so many things in there. And, and this passage, of course, again, there's been so many problems with how we've interpreted the meanings of those words and, and what that likeness means. But I, I think there's also, when we put those aside, so much else to discover in them. Thank you for listening. Tomorrow's episode is going to be a bit of a climax for the season. But before we get into that, I'll invite you to stick around for the credits. A massive thank you to those of you who support this podcast and the rest of my work on Patreon. If you'd like to become a supporter, it's the first link in the show notes. Like I mentioned earlier, you'll get a thank you postcard from me and a bunch of bonus content as well. The Creation Stories is a production of Polytropus FM. I, Alex Williams, wrote, produced, hosted, and edited this episode. Our guests include Cantor Russell Jane, Imam Saeed Hassan, the Reverend Natasha Brubaker Garrison, and Dr. Joshua Bowen, who will be back with us tomorrow. If you'd like to get in touch with any of our guests, see their work, or support them, I've put links down in the show notes. Specifically, Dr. Josh has recently published The Atheist Handbook to the Old Testament, which I think will broaden your appreciation for these stories, regardless of your background. If you're in the Calgary area, I highly recommend you visit calgaryinterfaithcouncil.org to see how you can get involved in the interfaith community here. There will also be updates available there on the upcoming UN World Interfaith Harmony Week. Special thank you to Rob Falconer, Matt Baker, Dalton Harding, and the Calgary Interfaith Council for connecting me with guests and additional resources. Thank you to Garrett Vandenberg for creating our theme music, He's also done the original music for My Wax Museum and Polytropus, so I highly recommend you check out his work. And thank you to Bethany Gustafson for our show cover art. Additional sound effects are by Gain Walkers, Craig Carter, Selker Studio, and OG Sound Effects. A full list of sources and credits can be found in the show notes. Thanks again for listening. We'll be back tomorrow with another episode.